The Inside Learning Podcast is brought to you by the Learnovate Center. Learnovate's research explores the power of learning to unlock human potential. Find out more about Learnovate's research on the science of learning and the future of work at learnovatecenter.org. Employers are confronting sizable skill gaps in all parts of their operations at all levels and they can't seem to fill them by simply hiring new people. In today's tight labour market, there are about 7 million open jobs for which companies are struggling to find qualified candidates because applicants routinely lack the digital and soft skills required to succeed. In the face of rapid technological changes like automation and artificial intelligence, helping employees keep pace is challenging and companies are wrestling with how to retain top talent, a critical differentiator in a hyper-competitive environment. No wonder a staggering 77% of chief executives report that a scarcity of people with key skills is the biggest threat to their business, according to the PwC 2017 CEO survey. As a result, companies can no longer afford to wait for the traditional system to supply the workers they hope will shape their future. The need is too acute and too urgent, particularly given many higher education institutions remain in denial. We must change how we educate both traditional college students and adult learners. Welcome to the Inside Learning Podcast brought to you by the Learnovate Centre in Trinity College Dublin. I'm your host Aidan McCullen and that striking introduction was written by today's guest, the author of six books with more in the works including Choosing College, Disrupting Class and Blended to name but a few, Michael B. Horn, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And uh, wow, those lines I wrote actually turned out to be more prophetic than I had expected uh, listening to you read them. Maybe it's the way you read them, but wow. Your books are always prophetic, Michael. Disrupting Class is still so accurate. I know it was written, I don't know, 15 years ago or so, along with you and the great Clayton Christensen, and it is so prophetic. So is this article. Maybe you'll take up from where I introduced it there and tell us a little bit more about where you were going and how it played out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the article was written actually before the pandemic started, and so the numbers have gotten even more stark of, of well over 10 million job openings for which employers are struggling to find people, you know, the great resignation was not a thing. When, when I wrote the article originally, it is now uh, a, a massive uh, consideration that, that companies are grappling with. And, and basically, you know, I drew from Clayton Christensen's theory of interdependence and modularity to say, when a part of your value chain, in effect, or your ecosystem is uh, so mission critical, and yet the way you supply them is is unpredictable and it's interdependent with everything else you do, you need to backward integrate into that part of the value chain. And, and in this case, it's educating your human capital. It's building up your human capital. It's upskilling, reskilling, uh, and so forth. And so, you know, companies need to be spending dollars, in many cases, shaping programs actively and creating opportunities uh, you know, not just for their managerial class, but their frontline employees to get more and more skills to be able to deal with the rapid uh, changes thanks to technology and automation, the, the need for employees to do more, uh, the need to keep and attract employees and to get out of the zero-sum game of thinking that we can just poach top talent because there's just not enough talent to go around. And so it's in fact more affordable 
uh, for companies increasingly to do that education themselves. And, and we're seeing a lot of companies step up, right? Walmart, Macy's, Amazon, Chipotle, Target, you name it, they are starting to get the message and investing, not just throwing dollars at it, but strategically in helping their frontline employees gain the skills that they need, certainly for the employees, but also for the businesses so that they can execute on their core strategies to be successful. I was so struck by something you mentioned in July 2019. Amazon publicized a new six-year program for investing $700 million in training 100,000 workers, roughly one-third of its workforce, which has increased since then. Amazon's leaders have decided that traditional higher education can't provide the education Amazon employees need, so the company is taking ownership of the educational component of its value chain. I was absolutely flabbergasted by this that there's so many educational bodies out there but they're not actually supplying the workers and then we have increasing unemployment at the same time so it's not that there's no jobs there it's that people aren't actually qualified for those jobs that absolutely struck me you mentioned there chipotle for example and walmart i'd love you to share a bit more about that to our audience because many people are unaware of this burgeoning problem as you know, I, I've, I've been a senior strategist at Guild Education for a couple a couple years now, basically. And Guild uh, provides a platform to help companies uh, facilitate the payments and supports of their employees uh, to get the education and upskilling they need from from a variety of academic partners in a marketplace that Guild curates. And and the basic idea is to understand what are the skills, what are the roles that a company needs filled. How do we help upskill your current frontline employees to be able to get those skills and, and do what you need? Because you're often not finding it um, out, out there in, in, in the marketplace, to your point. And frankly, if you just leave it to the wild, it, it's just very hard for working adults or even companies without expertise coming alongside them to figure out which programs are really tailored uh, for the jobs and the skills that they need filled, right? The, to your to your point, a lot of academic programs out there are are very academic. They're not focused on the job skills uh, that people need today. And so, to to be able to point people to, hey, this you know, Western Governors University, Southern New Hampshire University, uh, uh, you know, a program like PathStream, uh, they're really tailoring around what employers are demanding uh, is really important because if you're you know just a business or or uh, an individual you might not know those names or brands and yet getting access to them is so critical and so you know Walmart has made an incredible commitment uh, to all of its employees to uh, make sure that they can get these education and upskilling opportunities debt free. Uh, and that it leads to career mobility, which is great because they retain workers. They are training them into the skills that they need. In many cases, you know, Walmart is, has a huge healthcare strategy. How do you fill all the nurses and health technicians and so forth that you need for that? It's not coming from the traditional, uh, you know, supply demand, if you will, of the academy. They need to lean in, given the sheer numbers, to do this themselves. In many cases, and Michael, you mentioned there, for example, pathway. It'd be great if you'd share for many of our audience, maybe technologists or may have the idea of some startup or be able to fill some need in the ecosystem. So maybe you'd break us down 
different parts of the ecosystem that are broken or missing and where we can actually fill the gaps. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you can take this a, di- a number of different ways, but we'll, we'll focus on the technology piece, right? So uh, we, we know that by 2030, the, the global talent shortage could reach more than uh, 85 million people. The, the, the Euro- U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics says that computer and IT occupations uh, are likely to grow much faster than the average of other occupations over the next decade. And that's driven by things like cloud computing, big data, information security. Uh, and uh, a lot of those projections were before COVID, frankly, accelerated the investments into technology that companies made. And so having digital skills to be able to work with these platforms uh, is incredibly important. Now, here's the catch. Traditional colleges, universities, uh, their programs are often shaped by what the professor's uh, research is on, what they study, the course that they've taught for however many years, uh, uh, and so forth. And it's not highly attuned to the needs of the labor market, but these skills are often changing really rapidly as well, right? Like AWS uh, or uh, Salesforce or or, or digital marketing expert uh, on Facebook, right? Those skills and so forth are changing quite frequently. And the ability for colleges and faculty and accrediting associations and the like to keep up with that pace of change is, is really difficult. And so industry in many cases is creating these education programs. And then there's uh, different partners who are able to bring them into the college and university environment at a more rapid pace or to through boot camps and other uh, such providers, online providers, uh, connect them directly to learners. Now, for a company that is trying to upskill uh, its own workforce in, in that midst, seeing these needs and so forth, having someone alongside them that knows that market, that is curating it around the skills that they need, and uh, and then you know working with the employer employees to figure out what do you need to sign up for? Does this actually align to your own skills, strengths, desires for progress, and so forth? Because if it doesn't, they're going to drop out of the program, right? Uh, so so. You know that that's that role that Guild plays in there to try to make the market work, if you will, because employers have all the incentives in the world to uh, focus on the actual outcomes that align to business objectives, actually filling skills and creating pathways of, for talent uh, internally to push higher ed to keep costs lower and not have this uh, crazy. You know, we're, we we hear a lot about inflation right now. Uh, broadly in the economy, but of course, higher ed, the tuition prices there have risen much faster than inflation for for decades now. Employers have an incentive to to keep those prices down uh, to be able to educate more and more of their employees. And so there's a lot of natural incentives that come with working with employers to fixing the market, Um, but it does require some know-how and people who, who are thinking about the dynamics and making sure that you're getting the right providers that are building for the skills that you actually need uh, to do it. And so that, that's the role that Guild plays is, is to help take those natural forces and really harness them for the benefit uh, of the employees and the employer. And, and by the way, academic institutions benefit too, right? Because then they're getting, the good ones uh, are getting a more direct access to the challenges themselves and feedback from the employers to improve what they're doing. I thought about the ROI, and you mentioned this in the article as well, and you mentioned this throughout all your work. Business leaders will base educational decisions 
on ROI. They're looking for a return on their investment. But in the past, and actually in a lot of cases in the present, many people are sent off to do a course, some exec ed, etc. And then they come back to the organization and it's business as usual. And they don't have a canvas on which to practice their new skills. And they kind of just go through the forgetting curve of what they learned at that time. And there's no ROI. But this is going to absolutely change. You've identified this, you identified this years ago, but certainly it's actually coming home to roost today. There's two things you said that are important there. One, for individual individuals, period, higher ed is often a decision that they make very infrequently. And for them to know what metrics should they be looking at and how to think about ROI and stuff like that, it's just really difficult, right? It's an experience good that they don't experience very often. So evaluating your choices is difficult. For employers that start to do this over and over again and build the muscle around it, they're going to get savvier about what are the right metrics to look at, uh, You know, what is the ROI we need to see. Maybe it's time to switch academic providers that fill a certain skill. Maybe we need more capacity, right? And we need to work with multiple providers. They're able to make decisions because the, the, the cycles that they get at it are significantly more frequent and, and frankly, ongoing uh, for employers that are investing in this, which I think creates a much tighter feedback loop. And then the second thing you said about you often get the education, but then who knows if it gets used or not. When you do these in team-based environments, everyone is going through a certain you know uh, program, right? And we're going to change the way we do X. Much more likely that it gets used uh, when 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 you have that. Uh, dynamic where the education is is directly tied to the strategic goals and, and changing of processes and so forth um, in the business, such that you can measure that very tightly around KPIs and come to a very clear uh, return on investment uh, calculation to make sure that this is the right investment that we as a business want to do and start to make trade-offs, right? Like we have a limited L&D budget. We're going to spend it in this area relative to this one, because we know that when we hit these KPIs, it moves the return on investment for the business significantly more than investing in uh, you, you know, an, another part of the business, right? We might do more in supply chain logistics this year, given all the challenges, and say we're going to back off um, on, on front-end web design or something. I'm making this up a little bit, but, but you get the idea that you can make these decisions in accordance with what the actual revenue drivers and bottom line drivers uh, for the business itself. And, and this is something Mike Eccles, who used to run the human capital lab at Bellevue University, talked a lot about that, that until L&D, uh, the L&D function inside of companies gets comfortable talking in the language of, of ROI and, and metrics and, and really can prove the case, it's going to be very difficult for them to continue to get uh, budget uh, from CFOs that are trying to figure out, you know, where do we allocate scarce resources? And so, and so getting comfortable in that and putting pressure that your, your learning and development programs are geared toward the bottom line, not just sort of for their own sake, right? Ar around skills, around talent mobility, around talent attraction and retention uh, is really important. One of the things, Michael, you said there was, if you think about a lot of learning, it's very academic. It sparked a thought to me, which was, I work a part of my career loop, if you call it that, has been executive coaching. And I found that many executive coaches have learned processes and methodologies that are now decades old, 
and they haven't updated them. And then they're going out and coaching people. And the people don't know any different because they're just being coached in a certain way. But the world has rapidly changed. And it reminds me of a Heraclitus quote from 544 BC. No man ever steps in the same river twice because it's not the same river and he's not the same man. So the environment is changing. You're changing. And you're going to get this whiplash effect in some way. And we're seeing that in many ways in the workforce. One of the key signs that you point to in your article is the imprecision of hiring demonstrated by the fact that nearly 50% of newly hired employees fail within 18 months, either because they have interviewed fantastically and sold a story that's not true, or else they thought the job was something else and they don't actually have the skills and they're unhappy themselves. This is why I love talking to you because you you bring up references like that that are just terrific and really make the point very concrete, right? That employers should have the incentives to have the repeat usage and know like that old methodology is not what we need anymore, right? Teaching marketing by the what is it? Five P's and four C's or whatever is not how we think about this at the moment. Uh, we 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 need to stay up to date with what we actually need and how our business, uh, in fact, runs. And then that points to the other piece, which you said about the failure rate of of uh, people who get hired. Businesses, the other investment they need to increasingly make is a much deeper understanding of what actually are the skills that lie at the heart of the successful employees uh, in different functions, so that they can get much tighter on what are they trying to hire for and train for, um, and not just build these ridiculous job descriptions that like you know, generally we're pretty articulate about the digital skills, but then we throw in the kitchen sink of every other thing you can think about. You have to have 10 years of experience of X and five years of this and, you know, three degrees in these things and yet yet that have nothing to do with whether someone will be successful uh, in that role or not. And I, I think it's a failure to understand the actual skills, the actual habits, et cetera, that are at the heart of, of the successful employees that drive the outcomes you want. And secondly, it, it, this is a new book that I'm just starting to work on, so it's early, but uh, you know, also understand the progress that your individuals are trying to make because their notions of progress don't line up to your uh, progress ladders, if you will, <laughs> uh, your career ladders inside your company. Like They're much more jagged and going to zig and zag. And and so how do you slice and dice things differently to match what they're trying to get from their own careers, which may not line up to what, what, what you are? And how do you reconcile that? One of the things I love about your work is that you look at it from so many different points in the life cycle of education. So you, at the moment, one of your latest books has been one that you wrote along with your wife, Tracy, The Goodnight Box. So you've kind of gone downstream and going, okay, it's like that analogy of when you walk into a kitchen and the sink's overflowing, what do you do? Do you grab them up or do you turn off the tap? And here you're trying to turn off the tap because many of the principles and many of the values that you're trying to instill into children are hoping to affect them further upstream. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we're trying to build a foundation, right? Where kids can figure out what do I need to be to be successful? What does success mean to me? How do I define that? How do I have the habits right throughout my life so that I can get the learning that I need, become a lifelong learner, uh, be able to contribute meaningfully into my community and so forth. And that starts with certainly health, fitness, who am I, 
building a sense of purpose, right? And then continuing to build the muscle of agency and lifelong learning and, and understanding how you learn and and so forth. So that full cycle, I think, and seeing us as the full human beings we are is incredibly important. It's such an important part. And it just made me think that oftentimes when I'm running an executive course or education in any way, I have huge empathy for people. Some people, it's not that they're resistant to the learning or resistant to what you're talking about. They're actually resistant to the idea of learning because they've had bad experiences in the past. And the amygdala that remembers those experiences. So they're showing up already with fear to your session. So we need to be really cognizant of that because we've all had mixed experiences of our education over time, which is why I love the Goodnight Box. I mentioned that, Michael, because we're coming towards the end. Our, our chats are always so brief and I could go on forever. But where can people find out more about your work, more about your books, etc.? First, just huge debt of gratitude to what you do and the conversations we get to have, because I always learn through them. Um, uh, people can find out more about me at michaelbhorn.com on, on Twitter at, at michaelbhorn, uh, or I have a Substack newsletter if you want to subscribe, The Future of Education, um, which, which you can find under Michael Behorn as well. So that that's sort of the way to track me or, or and my different podcasts and so forth. I'll make sure the links are available for that, Michael, author of six books that I mentioned, another one on the way, number seven, Choosing College, Disrupting Class, Blended, but to name a few, Michael Behorn, it is always an immense pleasure chatting to you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. Now on Inside Learning, we want to discuss what we heard from Michael and to contextualize it from a Learnovate perspective. And we're joined today by corporate learning researcher at Learnovate, Ilsa White, you are very welcome to Inside Learning. Thank you. Nice to be here. It's great to have you. I thought we'd discuss perhaps one thing that really struck me was we went through this great resignation. We went through this great pandemic and we saw lots of people lose their jobs or get some way traumatized by the pandemic over the last two years. Yes, there's a dearth of employees for places like Amazon. Amazon are taking things into their own hands. They feel education is not keeping pace with the change they need within their organizations. That surprised me. And I shared it with a few people who don't work in the industry, and they were absolutely flabbergasted by that. And I wondered, was that a surprise to you? It wasn't a surprise to me, actually, because I come from a big organization myself and I saw it happen there. I think particularly larger companies are looking for people and they're hiring the skills that I think in some cases the organization doesn't even know what those skills are or what what those jobs that they're hiring for will, will look like. So I think that focus on skill development has always been there. And I think organizations are, are looking for a certain profile of people that's maybe not specific to traditional role description or a job that was there in the past. And I think what's different and what's changed and what's been a little bit accelerated by the pandemic is the speed of change in those organizations, the speed of change in work in terms of the jobs that are there driven by kind of development of technology. And there's a lot of disruption that comes from that. And I think organizations started to recognize at a larger scale, maybe that they're going to need their human capital, for lack of a better word, or the people um, uh, are going to make a difference uh, to, to their business strategy and their business success. And, and, and we, we heard Michael Behorn talk about that as well. And 
I think they're waking up to that realization and trying to actively get involved and playing a role in developing the skills of those people. And they're not seeing that from people who come straight into the company straight from college. So I think that they're starting to recognize that they have a role to play in that. So I'm 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 not surprised because there's just this perfect systemic storm that's kind of driving that need for different skills and for different people. And I think companies are are realizing that the role that they play in that and are taking action to to realize that and to make sure that they have the right people. And one of the things you said there was they're hiring for a certain type of person or a certain profile of person. And what that suggests maybe is people who don't cling too tightly to maybe what they've learned in college or to a career type. And we hear terms like Carl Dweck's growth mindset, mental agility, flexibility, a willingness to be able to change, all those things become quite useful. But how do they detect people like that? So if you're trying to hire somebody who has an open mind or is almost like a blank canvas that they'll be able to learn new things and be able to deploy those skills in a new way. How do you detect those things? That's a, that's a great question. I'm not sure if I know the answer to that, but uh, it's it's definite. there's definitely a trend towards kind of looking for those kind of softer skills and for that um, uh, for, for employees who, who can be flexible and who can adapt. I think um, and and I think there is a there's almost a desire with employees as well to kind of be asked to do different things or be asked to put into roles or positions where they they can they have the opportunity to take on something new. And I I think maybe like one way to measure it would be to to look at what people have done in the past, right? Like have they consistently kind of been on a trajectory of trying different things of of really taking an active role in their in their own development um i think through through interviewing you, you can you can definitely get a sense but like that, that that's that that can be a little bit of a game at times as well in terms of people kind of maybe showing up differently in in an interview than than what they really kind of have done in the past so i think it's really difficult to to measure or to find those right skills. But I think where it starts maybe is, is even before that. It's to it's for organizations to to even understand what the skills are that you're looking for. Like you could be kind of saying like we want the most creative people around, but if you're working in uh, um I don't know if if your business is around manufacturing or logistics, for example, you might just you know be better off with somebody who's very good at organizing or project management. So it's I think it's it's for or for for organizations to kind of recognize what are the kind of skills or what the skill sets are that that they're looking for. And I think that's stepping away maybe a little bit from from what they think that they need and really have a rethink about uh, what that's like if they want to move forward in the future, if if they want to develop their business, like what are the skills that that fit with that and 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 how do you then and then decide. Um, how you go look for that and decide how much of that maybe you could hire in or how much of that sort of potential might already be in your organization. And I think there is there's there's technology that can help with that uh, in terms of kind of building skill profiles maybe of the people who are already in your organization. So there's there's a host of things that that organizations can do and a lot of technology that can support them with that. But I think it starts with maybe recognizing um, what those skills are and what kind of people you need for organizations to be successful. I was trying to map this to your role as a corporate learning researcher 
And something you said there about the problem being systemic, because if you do think about it that way, you think about, well, schools are preparing people still for a world as if it was a steady and staid environment and things were predictable. That's absolutely changed. Yet we still continue to do that for a large portion of learning. And then in organizations like you identified there, you should be trying to ask different questions. But if we have the same type of interview setups and the same type of questions, hiring people maybe the way we would have a decade ago or two decades ago, that's no use then as well. And and I wondered from your role and from your experience in corporate learning research, what you've seen, you mentioned there, for example, which is really interesting, the technology to kind of look at what type of skills are succeeding in an organization now to, to inform new questions, maybe for new interviews in the future. It'd be great to share some of those things that you've observed. Across the projects that we that we work on at Learnovate, I think we're, we've always seen, obviously, like a focus on skill development, but there's definitely a, a lot more work that we do in, in that space. And just, just to mention a, a couple of them, maybe... Um, uh, there's one particular project we're working on with a client, which is about women returning to the workplace, for example. So women who've, who've been out of uh, out of employment for a while, for whatever reason, um, who are trying to get back in, but finding it very difficult for a variety of reasons. Um, and it's nothing to do with their skills. Um, it's to do with their confidence. So it's really kind of about understanding sort of the the underlying skills or the softer skills that uh, that these women can develop in order to kind of have that confidence to go back in so that that would be that'd be one area and then another like there's there's two pieces of core research that were involved with one around onboarding and one around well-being and I think well they're, they're, they're different and they're they're similar and different in, in, in many ways but the onboarding project in particular is moving very much towards like, it's not all about the the organization trying to onboard the person and and getting them to adapt to their culture to their their rules their way of working it's really recognizing that the person you hire into the organization brings a set of skills for example and brings a lot of experience and it's about how you can kind of extract almost extra, extract that is maybe not the right word but how you can get that how you can benefit how the organization can benefit from from that um uh, prior experience and how the, the the culture and and the organization can be richer as a result if if there is a bit more of an opportunity for that new hire to uh, to express what they've learned and to share that with the organization. So you, you see you see a lot of kind of tr- for that conversation between employees and employers to be a little bit more of a of a two way conversation rather than than a one way uh, one. And it's really about um, figuring out how to how to develop the people that you have in your organization to make sure that um, whatever you can offer them is, is customized to to that person's career, like their background and their position, so that you can basically um, uh, get the most out of them, but also give them an opportunity to bring the most of themselves to the, to that organization. Um, Another piece, and this is maybe, I think it's, well, it's, it's a couple of years ago, is, is the idea of micro-credentials. And it's, it's because, I think it's because skills are changing so fast and maybe because of technology as well, skills are automated more and more. So it's 
I think it's it's almost a bit unfair for third level um, education to to be expected to keep up with that because I think it's impossible. Like it changes so quickly, and through the, like micro credentials, organizations can kind of offer these really short bursts of courses of upskilling or reskilling where the employees kind of get the good bit of knowledge around something that's new, that's current, and then, you know, can apply what they have learned in the past, like their softer skills around collaboration or teamwork or problem solving, can apply that to that new context. And I think those are some of the things that we're definitely seeing here in terms of the projects that we're working on. Yeah, so one of the things there was, you mentioned, for example, somebody in an organization being flexible and, and going to work in a different part. So there's there's job mobility, essentially, within an organization. And that's going to be essential to keep workers within organizations. Otherwise, they're going to look for opportunities elsewhere because they're going to outgrow their skill sets and their life cycle of those skill sets. So one of the things that I do in, in my role as a corporate executive coach is actually help people decipher what are their transferable skills. So essentially, what I ask them to do is unbundle all the different tasks that make up their role, and then try to decipher how they can add new skills, perhaps to to work in a different part of an organization, or perhaps in a different industry altogether. And this is part of the work that you do in the LearnVate Center. It's something that you see, you've worked in large organizations, and you've seen this being a critical component in success in retaining employees as well. I'd love you to share what you've seen in this world. I think it's maybe a generational thing that comes in there as well. I think the the younger generation that will be making up the majority of the workforce have a very different way of uh, of, of looking at work. Um, it's not no longer sort of the traditional, like you do your education, then you work and then you retire. There's those life, there's there's a lot more of those life transitions and some of the things that were maybe easy, more easily attainable for the current generation that's in work, like getting a new house and and and, and having a, like a, a a job that uh, you know that can provide for that and 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 for families. I think like some of those kind of norms are are, are blurring a lot more, and I think what it does is is it's it's brings in a, um, a group of, of employees who have different expectations from their employer. I think they very much see work as an extension of their of their personal life in some cases, not in all cases. Sometimes people just still want that traditional, but um, I, I think people are very open to kind of trying new things and, and going with like the new developments and going with all the changes, but they also kind of have ex- expectations from the organization to make that happen in terms of how they how they are looked after. And that's not so much in the traditional sense anymore, but they are looking for like new benefits, for example, like they might be looking more for uh, get, uh, getting getting sabbatical breaks from from role, from their work because they're putting in a lot um, and, uh, you know, they, they value their time. Um, they value kind of having being able to take that break, for example, um, I think as well that um, uh, people or at least start to identify with the values of the organization. So it's very important for them to work for an organization that kind of has values that, uh, that resonate with them. Uh, and, and that goes back to uh, maybe like a position that, um, that the organization takes in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion, for example. I think that's a really big theme at the minute, particularly like in maybe the, the 
the tech organizations in the US, which which would have been the background that that I came from. So there's there's that different sort of relationship with work. Um, and it's a it's a fine balance. It's a very difficult balance to find for an organization to say, okay, yes, I'm willing to invest in you, but I also expect um, a, a loyalty in, in in return. So I think all of that is 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 not so much like if I look after you, you'll stay with me for 20 years. I don't think that's going to happen anymore. People are kind of moving, are going to move uh, around more. And I think particularly as a result of, of the pandemic, they're going to try and, and get into employment that gives them different experiences, that offers them something new. And I think organizations need to be aware of that, that they, they I don't think they can, I think the harder they try to tie people to the organization, the more they kind of will flee. But at the same time, if you as an organization kind of make sure that the environment that people that your employees work in is one that they can identify with, that they that gives them flexibility, that gives them opportunity, that's going to be crucial. Well, there's a lot to play for in this and it's going to be difficult times. I mean, organizations are trying to learn on the fly as they still run the organizations they have and employees indeed have to learn. It's absolutely fascinating and you're in a very interesting role, Ilse. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for joining us on Inside Learning. Great. Thank you for having me, Aidan. I enjoyed that. And that's it from our first episode from our second season of the Inside Learning Podcast brought to you by the Learnovate Centre in Trinity College, Dublin. Thanks to our guest, corporate learning researcher at Learnovate, Ilsa White. And thank you for your support. Please do get in touch with any suggestions uh, or queries on info at learnovatecentre.org. And you can check out the website www.learnovatecentre.org. Inside Learning is brought to you by the Learnovate Centre in Trinity College, Dublin. Learnovate is funded by Enterprise Ireland and IDA Ireland. Visit learnovatecentre.org to find out more about our research on the science of learning and the future of work.